Hello everyone, it's Precious Pioneer and welcome back to another episode of Precious the Foodie. I am so happy to have you tuning in to this week's episode. As you can tell by the title, this show is going to get a little bit interesting to say the least. But I wanted to touch on this topic because I think it's kind of relevant to especially Western culture about hustle culture and what happens when hustle culture gets the best of you and takes over your entire life. Is the grind of the ramen diet and overworking for more coin even worth it? Maybe, but definitely not sustainable over the long term. Work-life balance is crucial to long-lasting health and prosperity. This episode, we're going behind the scenes of the popular film, Wolf on Wall Street, with my special guest, Ian. He'll share his testimony and revelations, offering us a sneak peek exclusive into his journey. Let's jump in. Lights, camera, action. Hi, welcome to Precious the Foodie Podcast, the show that will uncover stories through palettes and memories. My name is Precious Pioneer, your host. I'm a chef, a creative, and a foodie. I'm meeting people all over the world using food as a medium to highlight truths into bite-sized pieces. So my name is Ian Eyre, or Coach Eyre, as I'm referred to. I'm from sunny United Kingdom, just outside of London. I help entrepreneurs and high-performing professionals get in their best shape um, through data-driven body and nutrition plans. And I coach people remotely all over the world, with clients in uh, America, Australia, the UK, all throughout Europe, and most other countries as well. So yeah, that's a little bit about me and who I am and what I do. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, that's super cool. How is it in, you said sunny in the UK, how is that uh, right now given, you know, with the quarantine and everything going on? It's been crazy, really. Um, so we've been in lockdown for, uh, this is the 12th week, I think. Uh, it's hard to actually keep track because it has been a long time. And it's it's not as bad as it was originally. It's, you know, we're starting to sort of come out of things a little bit. Um, shops are opening up a bit more. But if you go back to the 12 weeks, it was really, really tough at first. There was a lack of um, a lack of sort of food in general, but certainly good food. You know, so a lot of people were sort of getting whatever they could. Um, there was a lot of suppliers that were out of, of stock. Um, and, you know, it, it, it was a kind of, I suppose, a little bit of a novelty at first for a lot of people. Um, mm -hmm. because it wasn't the norm. So people kind of at first just sort of went, oh, this is interesting. Let's see what happens. After about three weeks, uh, it wasn't so interesting. <laughs> and people started to get um, a little bit fearful and fed up, I think, of, of what was going on. But now we've kind of gone through the sort of uh, the worst side of it, if you like, you know, the, the health side of it is kind of, it's calmed down if there's been a lot less people affected. Um, the one thing that has happened, and this could be completely unrelated, but since the world itself had kind of gone into lockdown and, you know, there was less travel and less airplanes and everything else, we've had this period of weather that has been unbelievably great. We've had blue skies, no rain, no sort of wind. It's just been fantastic every single day for most of those 12 weeks. Where it's opened up over the last couple of weeks and people have gone out and about a bit more, the weather's changed. <laughs> and it could be <laughs> completely unrelated. It could be, but it's really, really, it seems kind of coincidental. But um, but the feeling in general here is good. It's hopeful. Um, and, you know, everyone's kind of looking forward to getting back to some kind of new normality or what, what everyone's dubbing the new normal, really. But, um, yeah, 
pretty different, I guess, to to other parts of the world. <laughs> no, I, I I feel I feel that as well. Um, over here, it's a little bit of that tension of, you know, people are very tired of staying inside. And granted, um, to be fair, we're kind of on the slacking end of people weren't really staying much inside in general over here. And so, um, but now the weather's even nicer and we're heading into summer you know people want to go to the beach and all these different things and of course with everything uh culturally that's going on you know people aren't really six feet apart anymore so it is a little bit concerning and to see how we'll transition from here the yeah. restaurants are still closed and you know uh to see what how restaurants and the food industry will, and even the hospitality industry will kind of evolve from this sort of situation. It's going to be very interesting. Oh, for sure. Transition. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, over here, for example, it's been really, really interesting to see, I suppose what I would call kind of the sort of Darwin theory of evolution, you know, sort of survival of the fittest, because you've got a lot of restaurants over here, for example, all had the same opportunity. You know, they could have they could have provided uh, delivery containers of food. They could have provided um, sort of takeout only when it was applicable, but only some of them did. Um, so many of those restaurants now have kind of gone to a situation where they probably won't bounce back post uh, lockdown and they're going to be in a very unfortunate situation where others from day one were offering a solution to the problem. And they're probably going to come out of it in a really good position um, with a lot bigger customer base and you know a lot more ability to sort of thrive in the new economy. So. It is going to be interesting to see what happens, but already you can see, you know, different mindsets, different shifts and patterns and things going on. And uh, yeah, there's a lot of challenges ahead, I think, definitely. Mm -hmm. I wanted to talk a little bit about what you do. You said that you managed to do your health and fitness coaching um, remotely. And so I wanted to ask you, how did you get started with that? Uh, what was your journey like growing up and then transitioning into a person who advocates for health and fitness? Is that something that you originally wanted to be when you grew up? Or is it something that happened um, throughout the course of your life that I guess, made you want to transition to that career field? That's a good question. <laughs> and if I kind of went back in time to my my sort of youth looking forward as to what I would like to do when I was older, I don't think fitness was ever a major concern as a career at that point. I was really, really active. I was really, really sporty. I played uh, a lot of uh, soccer, played a lot of tennis, golf. I rode everywhere on my bike all the time. Um, so I spent a lot of time being active. Just, you know, I didn't really sit down and be still too much. And then I left education <laughs> and then <laughs> things changed a little bit and I became very, very, very sedentary. When I got to about the age of sort of 20, 21, maybe that sort of age, it was starting to slow down a lot. So, you know, I was still playing bits and pieces of sport, but it was maybe instead of two, three, four times a week, it was maybe once a week at best. And then it started to stretch further apart. Um, and that really coincided with my early career in sort of, I kind of got into sales, just it wasn't something I wanted to do. It was just something that kind of happened. An opportunity came up. I took it. I really enjoyed working with people. I really enjoyed providing solutions. And and that's kind of what I was doing. So I was um, I was working with computers into selling into sort of bigger organizations. And then off the back of that, I had an opportunity from one of the people that I was working underneath who went into the recruitment industry. And they said, look, you know, I really want you to come and work with me because we work really well as a team. So I'd never given it a thought before, but I thought, you know, well, it's a good opportunity. Um, you know, the, the 
the industry looks good people are earning good money and there's lots of people who need a job so yeah absolutely let's do it um <laughs> so i got into to recruitment and i was helping people get into their careers at the beginning of their careers and also people getting up sort of the career ladder and that was really really good really fulfilling and you know i i'm not gonna lie i earned a lot of money it was a really lucrative career but it came at a massive price and the price for me was was health and and bigger than that it was what was happening as a result of that health so to, to paint you a picture really in the recruitment industry at that time um, and we're talking about sort of the uh, sort of late 90s really at that sort of period um, mm. it was a very aggressive industry not necessarily in terms of how you would approach people but in terms of working in the environment it was a very work hard play hard experience right, labor, labor intensive very very much so so when for example um, the film the wolf of wall street came out a few years ago and you'd sort of see you know images of people kind of like you know drinking lots of alcohol to all hours not necessarily the other things but certainly the sort of being out late party lifestyle that kind of thing that was very much a part and parcel of the job itself so you kind of took that on the chin you know to entertain clients most days you had to be in really early the next day and basically i was burning the candle at both ends you know i was drinking a lot of alcohol i didn't really get much sleep my nutrition was terrible i was eating anything and anything that i could get my hands on that was just quick and easy to eat um mm -hmm. and there just was no kind of exercise at all so this lasted for about sort of four or five years of you know kind of progressively getting worse and at the same time my wife had we'd had our first child at the same time as well and he was starting to grow up and I just I got to a point where I was I knew I was detaching away from my family I wanted to spend as much time as possible with them especially my son who was you know these, these days were disappearing in front of me um, but I was I was building a career I was earning really good money and you know it was paying for sort of everything as well so it was kind of pressure at both ends but um, it all kind of got decided for me really I was already thinking about what I would do in the future and what would happen. And the future happened to me. <laughs> I, basically, I was, um, I was sitting at home on a Friday afternoon and I'd been out with the work team the night before until very, very late in the, in the, in the uh, early hours of the morning. And we'd been entertaining clients, drinking a lot of alcohol, didn't get home till really, really late. And I woke up the next day willing to go to work, but my body wasn't willing. So I just called him work and said, look, I'm not going to be able to get there today. You know, I really, really don't feel well. Mm -hmm. So I went back to bed. And in the afternoon, um, my wife, who'd had enough of this kind of behavior by now, <laughs> um, was not very, uh, she was understanding. But at the same time, you know, you, you have to appreciate she kind of got to the end of her tether at this point. And she kind of checked on me at one point in the day and said, you know, what's going on? You know, you've been in bed all day. And I kind of sort of reached out and said, look, I, I think I really actually need to see a doctor. She was like, oh, of course you do. <laughs> um, <laughs> didn't really take it seriously, which, as I say, is completely understandable given the circumstances and, and what had been going on. But it turns out I did need to see a doctor. <laughs> um, and within, within an hour, she realized it was very, very serious and had called an ambulance. So um, oh, an ambulance wow. came, yep, because um, basically I'd, I kept being physically sick. I couldn't stop, but I was passing out as well. Um, I couldn't stay awake. I was becoming more and more um, unconscious by the minute. And so an ambulance came as quickly as possible. They took my 
vital signs and they said right we're going to get you to hospital right now so in the back of the ambulance and I don't really remember much of this at all I do vaguely remember my wife at this point actually showing a lot of concern <laughs> and probably <laughs> feeling a little bit guilty but you know it really wasn't her fault um, and then that was it I was rushed to hospital so the next thing I remember is the next day and so this was kind of like evening time at this point uh, and I basically woke up in a hospital bed probably an hour or two before that time the next day and what had happened was um, I'd been rushed to theatre and um, they'd removed my appendix because they believed that I was having an appendicitis um, mm. because I had all the symptoms of it. And so the doctor had come around to see me when I literally, as I was waking up, kind of go, oh, you're, you're with us, you're conscious. I was like, yep, yep, okay, where am I? What's happened? Explain the situation. I said, okay, cool. So you took my appendix out? Yep, good. He said, the only problem was there was nothing wrong with your appendix. It was absolutely fine. So I was like, no. right. Okay. <laughs> so it's awkward. Yeah. So you just kind of rushed me to hospital and take my pen. So he said, "Yeah." He said, "Basically, the only other thing we can conclude is is you, your body kind of went into toxic shock. It was just too much. Your body was kind of revolting against everything you'd done to it, and it was giving us every single symptom of what we'd expect to see from an appendicitis that potentially had ruptured and you know caused poisoning into the bloodstream." So I was like, "Wow. Okay, that's a real wake up call." So I've had to be rushed to hospital had an emergency surgery, you know, potentially put other people at risk and all these things. And that was just, that was it for me. It was done, you know, but my, my life at that point had to change. So over the next sort of two weeks when I was stuck in hospital and um, I wasn't allowed to move because they had to, they had to really go to town to get my appendix apparently as well. So I had a really big scar and everything, which was great. Um, <laughs> and uh, various people came in and out, you know, sort of family members and my wife and, and, and my son at the time and everything. And and I just remember thinking that this is just not worth it. It doesn't matter how much money I've been been making or what that has bought me or, you know, sort of given me experience wise. Is this really what I want? You know, a sort of short term, you know, to, to burn really brightly as a candle and then fade away quickly. Or do I actually want to build something of legacy and, and see my family grow up, enjoy my family and have experiences with my family? And so I chose the second option and I decided there and then that um, you know I was never going to go back so as soon as I could get out of hospital I did um, I came home now I used to I'd got somewhere in the, the between the teenage years and the, the working years I picked up the horrible habit of smoking as well um, so I was smoking sort of 30 to 40 cigarettes a day at that point oh, um, wow. yeah so it was it was really it was a bad state you know it was like there wasn't there wasn't much that wasn't um, that couldn't be improved on really um, but the thing is to look at me, to physically look at me at the time, I wasn't hugely overweight. I didn't look disheveled. I didn't look like I wasn't taking care of myself because it just didn't. It hadn't, it was almost like the decay was on the inside of my body, but you couldn't yeah. see it on the outside. So to anyone looking at me, I was just a kind of fairly regular within that environment, sort of 20, you know, something year old person who was struggling with life to a degree, but also doing really well in his job. And so it was really hard for people to understand at the time. But, you, you know, you, you weren't really big. You weren't really. I was like, no, I wasn't. But on the inside, you know, my body was just falling apart. And, um, and that's when I knew it needed to change. So what I decided at that point was... I wasn't going to kind of muck around with trying to quit cigarettes and things. I just had two weeks in hospital where I couldn't smoke. So I was like, that's it. I haven't smoked for two weeks. I don't smoke anymore. 
So I used that um, and I quit cigarettes cold turkey and I never never went back. A lot of my friends and acquaintances, work-wise and outside of work, were also in a similar situation where they used to smoke a lot, drink a lot of alcohol and, and not really do much exercise and things as well. So one of the hardest things for me was I had to kind of really evaluate who I spent time with. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, you know, I didn't really want to cut everyone out of my life because a lot of these people had grown up with, or, you know, I'd spent a lot of time with and I'd had big connections with, but the reality is that the old saying of, you know, you're the sum of the five people you spend the most time with is completely true. Right. Um, and my habits and, and behaviors were definitely influenced by them and vice versa. So I kind of realized that, you know, I just needed to spend less time in certain situations with those people, not cut them out completely, but just not be with them all the time. And as I did that, I started to look at other ways of living, started to go to the gym, which was a big shock, <laughs> um, started to look at nutrition. And, and you know, I didn't not like I actually I was one of those people who actually always kind of would eat anything. It's just that I'd got into a habit of eating whatever I was given or whatever I could eat that was quick. So I actually quite enjoyed all kinds of foods but when you smoke you tend to block your taste buds so you don't really actually enjoy food that much you don't realize you don't at the time it's only when afterwards that you realize that was the case and obviously if you you know if you're kind of drinking a lot of alcohol and have a lot of late nights you also tend not to really be too mindful about what you eat so that's true (laughs) yeah exactly and it kind of all feeds into this cycle right you know you, you kind of just stop looking after what you do and that that perpetuates the cycle so once I came away from that and it was kind of, it was refreshing because all these foods, even though I'd tried a lot of them before, were just like new foods. And it was like, wow, this is fantastic. This tastes different to what I remember. And so I kind of went on that journey of, of discovery. And over the next couple of years, really, I, I realized, you know, that that career just was not going to be for me. So I, I still stayed in recruitment, but I changed into a completely different environment and I took a more managerial role where it wasn't about being on the front line and it wasn't about entertaining clients and things like that. And I enjoyed it for a while, but in my heart of hearts, I knew that I'd now gone away from the role of helping people. And that was the bit that I really, really enjoyed. And that's when I came to the realization that I needed to retrain. I needed to retrain into something that I was passionate about, something that I could help people with, something that I really understood from their point of view. And that's when I started looking at fitness and nutrition. And that was the beginning of my journey. So I left my job without another one lined up with the bold ambition of setting myself a three-month time time frame to qualify as a personal trainer every day going to to college to do this and then Mm -hmm. have a job lined up at the end so I did that and I made it work um, (laughs) and I ended up working in a gym that I absolutely hated but it was really good because I got to work with people but the, the environment wasn't great Okay. (laughs) um, But it gave me great experience because it kind of taught me the things that actually, I suppose, when you when you're not in the industry, sometimes you look at things that uh, that people do in terms of weight loss and in terms of sort of getting stronger and the mechanisms involved, and you kind of have a very narrow view of it. But when you actually study the mechanisms behind it and you train with different people, you realise there isn't actually a one size fits all approach to these things. Just like food preferences and life preferences, you know, there are different things that work for different people. So it was a good experience, but it wasn't quite right. So I decided to to set up on my own and I'd managed to build quite a good list of clients in the gym I was working in. So I offered some of those the ability to work with me 
remotely because you know they kind of knew what they were doing really now it was more about just sort of managing their programs and keeping them um, keeping them interested and coaching them and making sure they were motivated so we could do that on the phone we could do that um, over Skype and things like that and that actually worked really really well and that was really the beginning of sort of the online coaching side but obviously I knew at that point it needed to be a bit different it needed to work for anyone and be able to work for people who didn't have any experience um, and, and now I think what we've seen in the last 12 weeks certainly is, you know, th- this has become a massive, massive need. And we don't know if this is going to happen again with a lockdown situation or not. But certainly what I've seen is that people who were either used to going to the gym or not used to going to the gym, both sides of the fence, they, they need help. Um, they need help and they need guidance. And that's really where, you know, the remote coaching, what I do has really, really come to the forefront because it's allowed people to to still have goals and ambitions at a time when everything seemed a little bit hopeless a few weeks back. Everyone was a little right. bit, you know, a little bit desperate, a little bit depressed. And I've been working with people, as I say, all over the world and in different different situations. And the, the beauty of, of what I've been doing and, and, and really, really enjoying is that that touch point with people. So we've been connecting over Zoom and, you know, we've been meeting up and, and it's a case of people who wouldn't otherwise have had that contact outside of their household. You know, it's really given them hope um, and the drive to push forward. So I appreciate I've been talking for a long time. So I'm going to just kind of end it there and sort of say, but does that kind of, does that give you some kind of background anyway? Yes, no, that's, that's perfect. I I was wondering how long you were going to go for it. You're going to take over the whole interview. (laughs) No, I actually, I just jotted down, like I had a couple of questions that um, I was curious about throughout your story. I just didn't want to interrupt your flow. Sure, sure. So I know that certain things, there's these life-changing moments that where we have to, um, you said that life happened to you. So it's like these moments where you have to kind of take a pause and then pivot into a new transition or transition into something better than what you were before. And so um, I wanted to know what your mindset was like during that transition, because I was curious on how you got to that point. Like you were incredibly sick for a while. Were there any cues or anything like that or was it so normalized in your work culture that it was like you weren't able to see because the thing is though you also said that the way that you looked was perfectly fine it was just the inside of you that was poison you know so I know that there's certain feelings and cues um did you ever think like wow I feel really bad today maybe I should change or was it just kind of something that you didn't really think of because it was so normalized yeah, sure. So it's a bit of everything, really. Um, so I, I guess I knew when I first started in that role, I knew what the culture was. I didn't plan to necessarily embrace that culture as fully as I did end up doing. Um, I kind of, I suppose I kind of went into it with a little bit of naivety thinking, you know, hey, I can just, I don't have to do all of these, you know, sort of meeting and greet things. And I don't have to do all of these work events. And, you know, I can kind of skip out on some of them. And that just wasn't the case. It was a real part and parcel deal. If you do the job, you do the social. If you do the social, you do the job and, and vice versa. And um, it, it kind of just builds up because at first, when you first start, you know, you, you're kind of keen to, to obviously make a good impression. So you 
you, you probably stay extra hours anyway and you do every every little thing you can to kind of get that that step ahead and then after a while once you've been doing it you're just used to it so it becomes the norm yep the workplace was very much like that everyone was very much like that so it was appreciated that that's kind of you know there was no such thing as a nine to five for example it was more like a seven to realistically in the office anyway seven to seven and then outside of the office you know it would be sort of seven to whatever time you finish with with clients or or whatever it be so it was very much a cultural thing in terms of where I worked when my son was born which was a couple of years into it I did get a brief respite I took I took about a month and a half off when he was first born because I wanted to spend that time with him. Um, I didn't grow up with um, my father present for a big chunk of my life. So it was really important to me that he knew who I was and, you know, I wanted to be there as much as possible. So I absolutely loved that period. And then it came back time to go back to work. And again, I sort of said to myself, you know, I'm not going to get back to where I was before. And I'd sort of said this, but the slope was slippery. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. It really <laughs> was. Um, and before you know it, you're back in there. And it's like, it's like every good habit, you know, you, mm -hmm. you don't, you don't sort of build a lifetime of success based on one day of success. It's, it's these small daily habits that add up and you get that compound effect over time. That's exactly what happens in the opposite direction as well. So it was right. these daily habits that just built up and built up and built up. And in terms of, did I have any warning signs? Did I feel, honestly, I think you become desensitized. I think you get so used to feeling how you do on a daily basis that the comparison to how you could feel without all those chemicals and things in your body from alcohol and bad food and cigarettes or whatever, you, you don't even remember what that was like. So you're normal is just a really underperforming, you know, poisoned version of what you could be. Mm -hmm. And I find this a lot now with clients that when they go through the first sort of month of that transition of going from where they are to becoming a healthier version of themselves, they can all of a sudden look back and really compare the big differences. It's not just about physically how they look, but how do they feel? How do they function? How much better do they sleep? How much better do they perform on a day-to-day -day basis, their energy levels, all of those things. But when you're so far on the other end that you're constantly sort of underperforming, you just struggle through and you just consider it to be normal. You know, um, I mean, I'd wake up most days, which now it's, it seems crazy, but I would wake up most days with probably what I wouldn't even consider to be, you know, sort of a hangover because I was just used to it. I'd wake up most days with, you know, sort of really blocked up nose, not being able to breathe properly because of the cigarettes. I'd wake up feeling probably nauseous, but because I was used to that nauseous feeling, it was just normal. And then, you know, it would wear off as the day goes on and, and that kind of thing. The biggest thing for me was the distance it was causing in my relationships. It was mm. putting a massive wedge. I mean, I think if, if, what, if what happened didn't happen at that point, maybe, maybe my wife would have left me in the not too distant future and taken the kids because I don't think, I think, well, I know she'd had enough, <laughs> she told me. <laughs> um, but, um, but, you know, it was getting close to that point. It really, really was. So yeah, it was, it was hard to see the woods for the trees when you're in it, I think is the, is the biggest thing. Yeah, for sure. Okay, so as we transition to wrap up the show, I, something that I usually do with all of my guests is that if the listeners didn't have an opportunity to listen to 
anything that we've talked about this far. What would you have to say? What would be your last two cents, your mic drop, your peace out, I'm leaving um, sort of uh, statement, I guess, advice uh, relating to uh, what you do or maybe a little bit of encouragement um, for people who are going through uh, maybe like a similar sort of adversity, especially when gyms are closed and it's a little bit harder to get outside. Sure. I think number one, my my first bit of advice to anyone in any situation, health, fitness or any other relation is if you feel stuck, if you feel trapped, if you feel that things aren't going the way you want them to be, you can change them. And it isn't the biggest thing in the world to do. It has to just start with why. Why do you want to change? What is it that's going to be big enough to make you change? That's the first thing. Secondly, there is always a better way of anything and everything. And if you follow people that have got to their journeys before you, you will see results and you can copy those results, whether that's through a leader or someone you know, or whether it's from an online fitness magazine, whatever it be. If you're looking for results, success leaves clues. Pick up those clues and run with it. And if you get really, 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 really stuck, reach out to an expert but because they've done the learning. It took me 15 years to learn about my body properly. And now I help people transform in 12 weeks. <laughs> you know, I, I definitely recommend the 12 weeks over the 15 years. It's a much quicker journey. <laughs> Certainly. If the listeners want to reach out and find you and contact you and maybe even get a remote lesson from you, what, uh, where can they find you? So the easiest place to find me um, would probably be to reach out to me via email right now um, because I'm just redoing my website. So it's Ian, which is I-A-I-N at function.fitness. Awesome. Thank you so much for being a guest on the show. I'm so happy that you're here. Thank you very much for having me on there. It's been a pleasure. Thank you all so much for tuning in to another episode of Precious the Foodie. If you want to follow the show, you can find us on Instagram at Precious the Foodie. Also, if you enjoyed this week's episode, then please, wherever you're listening to this show, don't forget to leave a review. It really means a lot for the ratings and also to share with other people who might be inspired by this episode. But that's all I have for you guys this week. As always, live life with love and love food with life. Bye guys. See you next time.